This morning, uh, this is a sort of a bit of a standalone Sunday where we're looking at the subject of acts of courage. Um, and uh, just to tell you what that's all about. Uh, last year, we, as, as Relational Mission, we run a, a biannual leadership conference uh, since we've been going, since New Frontiers multiplied into lots of different uh, families of churches, Relational Mission being one of them that we're part of, which myself and others uh, lead that. And uh, over this last sort of seven or eight years of journey, uh, just helped us get established and begin to get some momentum. And uh, I think there's so much more to come. But God's been incredibly gracious to us, and it's been quite a ride. Uh, it really has. Uh, you know, when you it really is a pioneering thing. You've never done this before. How do we do this? Well, anyway, when we got to thinking about the leadership conference last year, we've done two previous ones in Norwich, where obviously our church in Norwich has got quite a big venue. And um, because they're part of Relational Mission, we get it cheap. <laughs> or free, even. Uh, but we felt this last year that God wanted us to move the whole thing right into the centre of London, which is neither cheap nor free, uh, and is a bit of a, a change for us. And uh, in some ways, that was my act of courage, kind of thinking, if we book this venue, if people don't turn up, uh, that's a big debt. You know? So it's a risk. Anyway, thankfully, they did turn up, and we had a tremendous conference. It was called Courage because we were feeling that actually one of the things God wants to put into us as a family of churches, right across all the churches, um, there's around about 70 churches that we're in our family, because we realize as new people come here, you don't quite know what we're part of. There's about 70 churches that are part of Relational Mission. We now actually have more church plants than we have established churches, which is tremendous because it shows that God is doing things. I was even talking to one place this, this, this last week. I can't even tell you the nation where we're planting in because it's, it's too sensitive, but we actually started to plant a church in somewhere I never thought we'd get in here. But God's just beginning to do things, even as a result of going to the Courage Conference, moving us into London, because I, I felt God wanted us to reposition ourselves so that our heartland, which has always been East Anglia, actually didn't define us in the future. It's not to say we're turning our back on East Anglia, because that's where it's birthed from, and you know, God, God's still doing some wonderful things around here. But I felt that God wanted us to have uh, broader horizons. And sometimes what you have to do to get into what God wants you to do is you have to take steps, don't you? Because all of us can have prophecies over us and have wonderful times of worship. But actually, after the PA's been switched off and you've gone home, it's the decisions you make then, isn't it? That's what makes the difference between what will be and what might have been. And that's not done in any, often, in very much of a spiritual atmosphere with angels dancing around the room as you make your decisions. It's usually made on cold, wet Wednesdays when the rain is coming down and you're feeling a bit miserable, but you say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And that's actually what, that's the stuff that courage is made out of. Anyway, so... We're in London. <clears throat> Forget what I was talking about then. Uh, so, we, so we sort of like swung the pendulum into London. And what's been interesting since that is 
even from that, different things are beginning to happen that I don't think would have happened had we not done that. One being, just one example, is we've actually now started to form a little bit of a pioneering group to plant into Liverpool. So we've sort of like swung right from the east, almost as far as you can get west. And it, I feel it's just something God wants to do uh, among us. Just to, and, and what happens is we, you take these little steps and you think, I don't even know if this is going to work. Um, people said to me afterwards, oh, great conference, Mike, well done, really good, we did this. They've got no idea. I was absolutely, yeah, I wasn't feeling a man of power for the hour up until the conference, until it actually was going. I thought, made it, (laughs) made it. So don't let anyone kid you who stands on a platform looking like they've got it all together. No, they haven't. Most steps of courage, you're sweating nervous, thinking, God, I hope you're in this, because I've put everything on this. But unless you do that, you don't get the breakthroughs, whether that's personally, corporately, as a church. I tell you this, if we want to do, we all go, yes, to Jimmy's prayer, which was tremendous, we won't do it unless we have moments when we think, God, if you don't turn up, we're stuffed. We won't do it, because you can't take ground without courage. You can't do it. If you write through the Bible, God, whenever God ever uses anyone, they have to do something that's for Jesus that's beyond what they feel they can do themselves. And it costs, and it's, and it's um, in some ways, I think John Wimber said this, I can't remember the exact quote, but he said, the economy of the kingdom is this, every time we take a new step for Jesus, everything we've gained to that point, we put on the line, and we might lose it all, or gain even more. Because you can't, you can't protect when you take step of courage. So anyway, what we felt from this conference is, because it was like a leaders' conference, and we couldn't get everybody from Relational Mission into that conference, obviously. We didn't want it to be a conference where we just talked about courage, and then everybody went home and forgot about it. We wanted to say, let's try and create, over the next two years between now and the next conference, let's try and create or stir amongst all the churches a kind of a culture where we all, really at grassroots level, say, you know what, we can all take steps of courage. So we've launched this initiative called Acts of Courage. And um, our very own Bev Willis, where is she? Is she here? There you are. Our very own Bev Willis will be, is working with um, uh, uh, James and various others who are putting all this together. And we, as, we are guinea pigs here in Lowestoft for this. And we can then hopefully... From our things we're learning, begin to then share it out across the family of churches. And as we start to notch up acts of courage, we're going to find ways that we can try and help all the churches. Every time someone does an act of courage or there's a story of a church doing an act of courage, we're going to try and just uh, let lots of stories be known amongst the family, just to kind of stir each other on to uh, greater and greater exploits for the Lord. So, does that make sense as to the background of it? So, that's that's what it's all about and wouldn't it be amazing even if amongst us if just say a hundred of us could actually say Jesus would you show me something I can do for you that is an act of courage that I can really feel you know I've done this for the Lord and something you know I've I've taken a step I wouldn't have taken for him had I not had the courage to do so so just one verse uh, to um, uh, to, actually before we get on to that I'll tell you one other thing um uh, one thing that we didn't come up, but will come up shortly, is our next Enough 
prayer night is in March. I can't remember the exact date. Hmm? 29th of March. So please make a note of that in your phone or wherever. March 29th is our next enough half night of prayer. Um, I believe something of what we're touching this morning and last week and a number of things that are happening, not just in our meetings but amongst us, and I can see it happening all across Relational Mission and uh, anywhere where people are giving themselves in this season to prayer, something is stirring. Prayer is never a destination, it's a pump primer for what God wants to do. Whenever God wants to move, he always gets people praying. Now the enough prayer is, I'm really surprised and amazed at what's happening with it. Um, This week I'm going up to another whole stream of churches just to talk about enough as um, they're interested in, in possibly either joining and even if they don't join they might even do something similar themselves. So if prayer is multiplied, great. Uh, in a couple of weeks, another conference has asked me just to come and speak about prayer and what we're learning about corporate prayer. The last enough we had was the biggest, I think was the biggest one we've had. We were about 6,500 people across about 19 hubs in three continents, all praying at the same time in different places for the same thing. I tell you, that cannot have, but have effects. So the more we give ourselves to prayer, and you might think, well, does my little prayer matter? It really, really does And I believe that as we pray, God will give us more um, ability to learn how to pray. And and you'll find that prayer will actually become an atmosphere, a culture amongst us. So let me encourage you, when the next enough happens, you think, oh, I've been to the last, been to a few of these. No, go again, go again, go again. Because God's beginning to birth something. And there will come a point where we start to see people coming to Christ in larger numbers. We'll start to see healings in larger numbers. We'll start to see social impact in different numbers. We'll start to see more churches planted. And when we actually, in a few years' time, look back on it and think, how did that all happen? We will conclude prayer is what ignited it. So it can, t- it can be a bit of an act of courage even coming to a prayer meeting, can't it, at the end of a busy week. Anyway, back to this. Acts 4.13, just one verse, says this. Now, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Father, I pray just as we look at this very simple verse and some very simple principles from it, I want to ask you, Jesus, that the same transforming uh, effect that you had in your proximity with these disciples will be increasingly our testimony as a local church and as individual followers of you. We want to show the world that we have been with Jesus. That there's something about us that people conclude, you know what, they're just ordinary people, but we can see they've been with Jesus. We can see something about them is different. And we pray, Lord, that the courage, it was the courage they saw that made them conclude something was different. Help us, Lord, as we just look together at these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is an act of courage? Well, I told you a little bit about what for me has been a bit of an act of courage um, in in one area. There's lots of other things, uh, more personal ones, but it's different for us all. It's something really that God brings you to a point of doing that you do for Jesus and by the power of Jesus. 
It's not just general courage. I mean, people in the world do courageous things and praise God for that. There is a common grace given to mankind where men and women do wonderful things, courageous things, not always just charitable things. They sometimes do incredible things, climb mountains, sail oceans, save lives, do amazing things. There's something within the human spirit that God has made that is capable of doing incredibly courageous things. But I'm talking about courage that's particularly to do with doing something for Jesus and by the power of Jesus. Now that can be praying out loud for the first time at an enough prayer night. That could be a huge act of courage for someone here. You think, I've never prayed in front of people before. Uh, that, that is a, if that, for you, is something you say, God, help me to do this, I've never done this before, and you take a step, that is an act of courage, isn't it? Yeah. It's something that moves you from where you were to where you are. It might be you share your faith with someone, a neighbor or a colleague or a friend, for the first time you actually tell someone, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, uh, you know, and then you think, I've run out of words now, but I've said it. And then the office goes quiet. You had moments like that. And it's not about an act of courage where it always works out wonderfully, where they say, what must we do that we may be saved? (laughs) That's not how you define an act of courage. They might have said, they might say, load of rubbish. In fact, Jesus told us to expect hostility, persecution and trouble from some. He actually said, I haven't come to bring peace, I've come to bring a sword. Now, he wasn't talking about physical violence, because when Peter got his sword out and chopped someone's ear off, Jesus said, put your sword away. He wasn't talking about that. He was just saying, actually, my message is going to divide people. Your office might get divided because of what you say. It's not going to bring peace and harmony necessarily. The results are in God's hand. What is in your hands is do I take the step? That could be a massive act of courage, couldn't it? Massive. You think, well, I couldn't do that. Well, that's the whole point of why we need courage. <laughs> if you could do it, you wouldn't need any courage. Yeah, but I really couldn't do that. No, I know you couldn't. That's why they looked at these people, uneducated, ordinary people, and were aston- they were astonished. How can these people do what they've just done? That, that's, that's the thing about it. It could be you move to another nation to plant a church. It could be that you trust God through an illness or a long-term health issue, and yet you demonstrate peace and trusting God through months and years of great difficulty. That is an act of courage. When you're trusting God and you're not resigned in fatalistic stoicism, where you just grit your teeth and say, oh, get through. No, you're trusting in the amazing, beautiful love of Jesus, even in outstanding, outstandingly pressured circumstances. That is an act of courage. That is an inspiration. It is astonishing. And you meet people and you walk into their presence and people who suffered a great deal sometimes, you, you, and, you, and you can feel the radiant presence of God there. Why? Because they've had courage to trust God through great darkness. It can be keeping quiet under provocation, forgiving someone who's wronged you, letting, dropping the ammunition and thinking, do you know what, you've really hurt me, you deserve for me to get you back, 
but I'm going to drop the ammunition and I release you from all the debt that you owe me. I tell you, that's, that's courageous, isn't it? To drop that. It could be trusting God for financial or practical provision as you do something for him. It could be increasing your giving to God. You think, oh, we're a bit tight on the budget, but I believe God has asked me to give another £10 a month into the church here, into the, his purposes. I'm going to trust you, Lord. I'm going to trust you. That can be an act of courage. It's different for each of us. It could be taking that promotion or that new job or that new opportunity, even when you're afraid of what you're going into. Courage can be just getting back up again every time you get knocked down. Courage could be that you're back here today when you could have just walked away. That could be an act of courage, that you walk through the door. So there's lots of different ways. Acts of courage are not easy. They require something of us beyond that which we can find of our own resources. Right to notice, it says, when they saw their boldness and their courage, at some point, God requires every one of us to do something that's visible and that will bring glory to the Lord. Whatever starts in the secret place and in private encounter will always at some point come to public notice. If Jesus has dealings with a man or a woman, eventually those dealings will become public knowledge. That's how it should be. Don't hide your light under a bucket. When Peter denied Christ, he wept bitterly because he knew that wasn't actually how he should be living. He wept because he, he was disappointed with himself that the intimacy, the closeness, the transformation that had taken place in his life through encounter with Jesus, through proximity with Jesus, he hadn't had the courage at that moment around that fire with those people who said, you do know him, you're one of his disciples. He hadn't had the courage at that moment to say, yes, I am. He said, no, I don't know him. And he wept, not because he was afraid of the persecution, he wept because he was bitterly disappointed that he hadn't been able to transfer what had happened internally into what was, must have happened externally for it to be completed. That, isn't that the battle we all have? It's easy to be a Christian in here, isn't it? Well, most of the time. It's out there. That's, 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 that's not pleasant, always. And I think increasingly it's going to get possibly less pleasant. This is a, a nation at the moment that is hostile to the gospel. Be under no illusion, the gospel is not received easily in our culture. Because it confronts people with statements of truth that are non-negotiable. And some of us will find ourselves in situations where we have to take a stand and say, well, the Bible says. And that isn't always going to be popular. It has to be seen. Now, you might be thinking, well, yeah, but I'm not that kind of a person. I'm more of a sort of a I'm risk averse, a little bit more introvert. It's all right for people who are a bit sort of sanguine and bold and risk takers and they're the sort of people who will bungee jump on holiday I just want to sit by, on a sun lounger you know, drinking a cocktail or something 
It's not about a personality preference. This is about transformation through being with Jesus. So that people look at us and think, I know you're like that, but you've done this. And that and this don't add up. That's, that's the kind of thing we're looking for. So, to give you an example of an act of courage, Jimmy, where are you? Come on down, Jimmy. And uh, Jimmy's going to just tell us an act of courage that uh, he did last week. I didn't know that this was going to happen, but it's a brilliant example. So, uh, thank you, Lord. It's better than uh, anything I could make up. Hello. Um, I'm here to help. <laughs> Good. So last weekend, I was just totally wrecked by last weekend. I don't know if anyone else in here felt, felt the same. Uh, Ben's preach just totally wrecked me. The William Booth thing totally wrecked me. Um, and we finished the weekend with Kirkley Prayer. And I was standing there praying with my son. And we're praying for real people in Kirkley that Tim and I think Amal and a few others were bold enough and had enough courage to knock on people's doors and say, in like the roughest part in Kirkley, and say, look, we love you, what can we pray? And I stood there with my son, and I'm there with Jake, and Jake's starting to pray for real people in Kirkley. And it just broke my heart. It just completely broke my heart. And we were looking at different streets, and my street was on one of these maps, and, um, and we were praying, and I just... I just thought, I've got to do more. I've got to do more. You know, let's, um, if, if Jesus, if the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in me, I've got to do more. It just, I can't, I can't stay silent. And I, I woke up about four in the morning just feeling like I need to tell my street. I've got to tell my street that I'm here and that I love them. And um, so... The Holy Spirit gave me an idea to write a letter. So I wrote a letter and said, Hi, my name's Jim Clark and I'm a neighbour. I live at number 36 with my wife, Emma, and our two sons. A couple of years ago, I was feeling unwell, so the doctor sent me to the pageant for some tests. They gave me an appointment and I went thinking that I was going to get some tablets for a stomach ulcer. But I was met by a doctor and three nurses who told me I had cancer. They told me I'd need to have powerful chemo, and after chemo, they would remove all of my stomach and some of my esophagus. I was told that life would be very different after surgery, and I'd have to get used to a new way of life, which they started to call my new normal. I was devastated, not only because I'm young, but because I'm a husband and a father to an amazing wife and two amazing kids, who I completely adore. I've also been self-employed as a musician ever since I was 17, back when I joined the Leave Easy Band in the late 90s. And since then, I've toured the world, playing bass for Bjorn again, living in a box, Il Devo, and spent the last 10 years playing for Gloria Gaynor. Didn't know if I'd ever be able to play or tour again. I was gutted as I sat reading through the endless Macmillan leaflets that the nurses gave me. And as you could imagine, I was super scared about my future, my family, and everything that we would have to face. Amazingly, something changed. The worry and fear that seemed so deeply anchored to my soul went away. I was completely filled with peace, but not just peace, also hope. Hope for a very uncertain future, and more importantly, hope for my family. I go to Lowestoft Community Church, and I have lots of friends who pray, and they prayed for me. And it was after they prayed that I was completely filled with peace. My fear left, and I was filled with hope. If I did feel scared, I would text someone from the church, and as they prayed, the peace and hope would come back. I know this sounds a bit weird and a bit mad, but it's true. 
It's now two years on and I'm completely cancer-free. I've been completely discharged from the NNN. Yes, I've lost my stomach and half of my esophagus, like the doctor said, but my new normal is actually better than the old normal. I've been back working full-time for the last 16 months, and last year was financially the best year I'd had in years. I put this down to prayer I received, and also knowing that there's a God who could see me, and not just see me, but wanted to help me and not punish me. It was this that got me through. You know, if you see a great movie, hear a great band, or hear a funny joke, you want to tell someone about it. So I've sent this letter to everyone on Laurel Road, as I believe if someone does something good for you, you should pay it forward. So I wanted to, to write to tell you that prayer gave me peace. And I wanted to say, if you're going through something difficult or know someone who is, I'd love to pray. I'm not a weird religious guy. I'm a bass player who grew up and still lives in Kirkley. I won't hassle you or knock on your door, but you can knock on my door or send a note through. You can even send a note through anonymously if you want. I'm on Facebook as Jimmy Clock too, if you want to message me on here. But if you feel that this is not for you, please feel free to file this letter in the bin. Many thanks, Jim Clock. I, it was a, um, a wet Monday morning and I'd printed off 12 of these because the printer ran out of ink <laughs> the, I got really thin paper as it was wet and it was going through the door I was thinking the perfectionist in me was saying this is a joke, what are you doing the enemy was saying who wants to read this who wants to listen to this and I was telling Ems about it after she came back from work and we, we got some more printer ink and we, we finished sort of posting them to the rest of the street. And uh, I was like, oh, I just felt so alive. You know, I just felt so alive in the rain with this wet, soggy bit of paper. And then someone knocked at the door and said, hi, I'm Donna, I live at number 28. And I'm a Buddhist, but I just want to say what, what you put from my, from my letterbox, that's what this street needs. You know, and since then, I've had three people make contact on Facebook who are all really lovely, sent me lovely letters, and I've had two other cards from other people. There's six people on my street this week. And they're real people with real names that I now know that I can pray for. And, you know, let's, let's do it. Let's take courage. I was bricking... I nearly swore then. <laughs> I, was, I was bricking myself because, um, because you know... It's, sorry. Because... Um, I know one day that will happen, and I apologise now. But, uh, but yeah, I was, very, I was very scared. I was very nervous. And, but I just thought, no, we've got to do this. I can't stand up here on a Sunday morning and say all this stuff without backing it up, because Jesus' actions always spoke way louder than his words. And so, yeah, so that's my story. Yeah. That's amazing, isn't it? I mean, wow. I was thinking what you just said about, you know, nearly swore there. I tell you, joking aside, be careful how I say this. I'll, I'll have a go. It's an act of courage. I think the Lord would rather us take acts, steps of courage. It isn't quite the language of Zion might slip out than he would for our language to be very particular and we never do anything. Does that come across right? Because I'd, like I'd, I'd like to be so on the edge that occasionally something comes out and you think, oh, I know that wasn't quite the right thing to say, Lord, but I'm really struggling here, but I'm going to do this. 
I'm going to do this. I think the Lord would prefer that. He wants a, a kind of something in us that makes us think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to do it. And that, you know, what a great, number one act of courage in our whole thing, right? So there's one in the box straight away. So just to bring it into land a bit, and then we'll, we'll just spend a bit of time with the Lord. Um, you might say, well, okay, how do I, it says they took note that these people had been with Jesus. So what, what does that look like? What does it mean to be with, okay, you think, right, I want to get in that place. I want to I be like Jimmy Clark. Who wouldn't? How do, how do I do that? How do I do that? Well, what does being with Jesus look like? Well, some practical things. In Ephesians 5 verse 10, it says, excuse me, it says, find out what pleases the Lord. Try to discern what pleases the Lord, some versions say. And sometimes if we, in our lives, we are living with compromise, things that are competing for the Lordship of Christ, then it hinders us from actually moving on with the Lord. I can remember when I became a Christian, um, I had a couple of years of sort of, I was kind of in one foot in the kingdom, one foot in the world, and just sort of, just not really. And I had a tremendous record collection. I don't know if some of the young people don't know what a record is. Okay, we'll explain it later. I had a tremendous record. I was really into my music. I had a very, very good record collection. I absolutely loved music. And I just knew it was an idol. Knew it was an idol, and I'd given myself unreservedly to the Lord in some uh, some thing that happened. I'd had an encounter with the Lord, and I really, and I just knew. I thought, oh man, there's nothing wrong with the music. It's just the place it had in my heart, and I can remember driving down to Nest Point, where the old rubbish tip used to be. And I had all my LPs in plastic bags. And I can remember picking them up out of the car and walking to a skip. And I couldn't even throw them in. I had to carefully just let them slip in because I didn't want to damage them. And I had to walk away and leave it all in the skip. Because I knew I could only have one Lord. And if you say to me, how are you, you know, how have you come to do what you do? And I'm not doing anything more special than anybody else, but it's just, this is, you know, my life. I'm trying to outwork what God's asked me to do. If they would say to me, how's that, how have you managed to navigate your way to do what you're doing? I would say a lot of it started at that skip. When I knew there was compromise. Now, there may be people here today and you feel you know you are compromised in your walk with the Lord you know you are it might be your your language all that we said about Jimmy it might be that you know that you you badmouth people you swear you you gossip you speak bad you might know you're you've got a a foulness to the way you talk it's got to go in skip 
It might be that you're addicted to alcohol or pornography or social media or, I don't know, cake. (laughs) Not looking at anyone. A relationship. You think, I don't want to give that up. Being with Jesus means walking away from stuff. Now, I have to say, I still love music, and you know what? God's given me more wonderful opportunities to enjoy good music now since it's been put in its proper place. I've been to hear some wonderful things. I've got some very good friends who are outstanding musicians, and I get to hear them live, not least of which Jimmy Clark. And to see even the creativity that's coming out of relational mission now in terms of worship and in terms of the arts, in terms of music, I think God's giving me back more than I chucked in that skip. And I'm enjoying music rather than living under it. You get the point. The next thing I would say, so get rid of any compromise. And if you're struggling, find someone to pray with about that and do business with God. Do business with him. You will be the freer for it. You think, yeah, but that's part of who I am. Get rid of it. It's not who you are. It's not who you are. It's who you've been persuaded that you are. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. Next, stay near him. In Proverbs 8.34 it says, Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. James 4 verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. John 7:37. if a man is thirsty, let him come to me. Jesus invites us to come and live near him. The best piece of advice I can give you is get rid of anything that's compromising you and spend your life living near Jesus. Pursue him. Think, yeah, but I don't know, how do I hear the voice of God? How do, I, how do I know when God's speaking to me? How do I pray? How do I read my Bible? How, I don't know if I get anything out of it. Practice, practice. Practice. Live near his doors every day. The only way you learn how to pray is by... How do you learn to drive a car? Driving it. It's no good looking at a, a manual of what it, what it is or, you know, to drive a car. You've got to get in and go for it. You know, I don't know where to start reading the Bible. Have a go. Get someone to help you. Live near him. Being near him. Out of that, everything else flows. And the third thing I would say do is make sure you're filled with the Holy Spirit. In, in Ephesians 1.14 it says, Having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. All of us have got different stories, or all of us should have different stories, of how the Holy Spirit fills us, empowers us, blows the very presence of God through our lives. The indwelling of, of, of the Holy Spirit that... that um, happens when we come to know Christ and the filling of the Holy Spirit are separate things and we should go on being filled with the Holy Spirit and you may have had encounters with God 10 years ago that really affected you are you having encounters now is the question go on being filled with the Holy Spirit God has his own unique ways of dealing with every single one of us you don't have to flap around on the floor jump up and down wail shriek whatever but you can do that if you wish to I don't care what happens outwardly, neither does God. What he's really concerned about is what happens inwardly. So the gifts of the Spirit are deposited in you and they begin to come out in how you live. And the fruit of the Spirit, in terms of how you are as a person, also becomes visible. 
Those things, getting rid of compromise, spending your life living near Jesus, and then being filled with the Spirit, those, I would suggest, are three simple ways to be with Jesus, out of which people can be astonished at what they see happening through you.